0: My situation has not been understood. And that was so counterproductive. As soon as you have someone at your side who understands even a little what you're going through and how tough it is dealing with it, it makes the world of difference.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining us here at Therapy Unwound, the podcast that is here for all of us to take a deep dive into the wonderful world of therapeutics and scientific research. Thank you for following us on YouTube, Spotify and the old Instagrams. It's been wonderful to get to know you on socials and we cannot thank you enough for the amount of shares, downloads and likes. If you haven't followed us already, please feel free. It would be great to know you too. And if you'd like to support the struggle here at the podcast, then please head over to Ko-Fi and sponsor a coffee or three for the team here. And we send our thanks in advance. My name is Jenny Walker. I'm your host for today and we are joined by the wonderful Steve Shawnee who has been an inspiration to me in my own holistic journey and he is talking about the research project that he was involved in with Imperial College about psychedelics, psychedelia and some wonderful magic mushrooms. So get a coffee, have a seat and join us for the next half hour. Welcome to Therapy Unwound, the podcast that is here for all of us to enjoy the wonderful world of Therapeutics. I'm your host, Jenny Walker, and I am here today and joined by Steve Shawney. Hello.
0: Hello, Jenny. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good. And thank you for having me.
1: Oh, it's such a delight. Here in the booth, got Jeremy today, doing our thing. It's Tuesday, so it's podcast recording day.
0: Love it. It's a very pro setup you've got. Um, yeah. I we... am so impressed.
1: Thank you. That ah. means a lot. Yeah. So we've known each other for a while, hey?
0: We have. We've done some interesting things together.
1: Yeah, we've done some anatomy classes together in your yoga practice. We've done some yoga. We've done a lot of drinking of coffee and eating of cake. (laughs) (laughs) So can you tell the audience all about the work you do and your presence here in Godalming, which is where we're based?
0: How long have you got, Jenny? I I wear a number of hats. Yeah. You're familiar with my little setup, Mina.
1: It's great. It's,
0: it's a, a cafe and a yoga studio. Um, it's really all about well-being. Mm. It's about healthy living. Um, our our menu is vegan. Yeah. We try and encourage people to eat well. It's it's part of holistic lifestyle choice, I suppose, yeah. as much as anything. And practices in the studio are confined, for the most part, to yoga. Mm. But we do quite a bit of meditation.
1: Yeah.
0: It's something I do quite a lot of. And um, we've introduced a few other practices. Pilates and Tai Chi mm. and Qigong yeah that's something else i am doing quite a bit of and have in lockdown mm. it's it's a it's a nice complement for the yoga so complementary practices if you like
1: I think also with um Mila you've not just created a cafe and wellness space and a wonder I mean if you're in Godalming and you want a wonderful practice please go and book in with the studio because the teachers are great but space is just something else. But you've also built quite a community around Café Meal, haven't you?
0: Bless you. Yeah, oh, it's nice of you to say that. It, it's been an organic growth thing. Mm. You know, I, when we came into it 10, year, 10 years ago, I just put the intention out there that what I want to do is create something that will draw people to it, mm. a place where they can come and be, be comfortable yeah. and happy. That there's, yeah, you know, there's not a lot healthy about Millionaire Shortbread and coffee, but... Oh, it's there is. A little bit of what you like is good for you, isn't it?
1: Definitely. Yeah. I think there's, there's got to be balance within everything we do. And I think the, the idea of having that comfort and that home of, you know, when you have coffee and cake with friends, it just feels like a hug anyway. Yeah. Oh, and absolutely. vital. Yeah. Vital. I,
0: I have to keep reminding my staff that we don't just sell coffee mm. and healthy food. We sell an experience. Yeah. Um, and that's what people come for.
1: Definitely. And I was, I loved the way that you were telling me a couple of weeks ago how that community was really important through lockdown.
0: It was my lifeline in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll be talking about depression, I yeah, guess, in a little while, yeah. but depression is a very solitary thing. Mm. Um, and that was really my only connection with community. And even when they were standing outside in the cold and the rain, um, queuing for coffees it was just great to be able to get down there and and make that connection
1: yeah and just keep that conversation going isn't it and we live in quite a small town here and seeing those familiar faces was very important for a lot of people i think speaking around just saying like we're still here we're still connecting it may be a really weird time but we're getting through it together
0: we are and i think everyone um and this is not just Godamling, but globally, mm. has felt that sense of connection and that sense of community. Certainly. And that in itself is a really good thing.
1: I hope it's something we don't lose.
0: I don't think we will. I think people will make the time. I think most of the people that I've been in contact with anyway have come to realise the value mm. of maintaining that connection.
1: Yeah, it's um, it goes deep there. You oh. can't You can't express community, can you?
0: No, you can't draw a picture of community. No, you've just got to fe- live
1: experience.
0: It's a felt thing, and it it comes from the heart, isn't it? It's yeah. one of those art felt.
1: Definitely. So talking about experiences, you've had yes. quite a big experience over the last couple of years with the Imperial College um, research that was headed by David Nutt. Indeed. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah. Oh, in two words, life-changing.
1: Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that a research project can be life-changing. I'm just doing my dissertation for my master's at the moment, and I was reading a very sad fact that a lot of research takes 17 years to get into practice. So the fact that, wow, yeah, 17 years is the average.
0: That is a very long time. Yeah. But They've tried to shorten that, that time frame, if you like. Yeah. Um, but it has. They've done a lot of work behind the scenes. And it's taken them years to get to the point where they are now. Yeah. Um, The fact that there is a growing awareness of the value of drugs like psychedelics in in the therapeutic realm Mm.
1: um,
0: means that they've probably shortened it even more now. If the home office wakes up (laughs) and reclassifies these drugs, it'll make it so much easier to develop the therapeutic protocols that are needed.
1: Definitely. So we're going to fill the audience in a little bit. So David Nutt... Um, has a background in advising the government on drug use. And he actually has written an interesting book on drink, which we will link down below, um, which I found on Audible, which is well worth listening to. But he set up a drugs trial to look at how psychedelics could possibly maybe help with depression. And that was the trial you took part in. I have one big question for you. How did you get involved?
0: <laughs> I, I can give you the long version of the story that would start with where I was with my depression and all yeah, the practices that I've that I've tried. Yeah. But how I actually got on, we, we can dip into that in a sec, if you like. But how I actually got onto it, I, I was driving home one day listening to Radio 4 and I heard Michael Pollan interviewed.
1: Oh, he's so good.
0: <laughs> um, and I went out and bought a copy of how to Change Your Mind. And Wonderful. And the more I dipped into psychedelics, the more I realized that these drugs have a, an enormous potential for changing people's lives in the way that, that um, psilocybin changed mine. And I got to a point where he started talking about the trials in depth, and I thought, I'm going to stop here. If I'm accepted onto this trial, I want to go into it with open eyes and knowing as little as possible. Um, I don't want to preempt any outcome. Cut a long story short. Um, I applied and reapplied uh, and applied again because I just didn't hear back from them. And eventually I was, I was asked to go in and, and have a chat and do some tests. Mm -hmm. And I got lucky. I was one of, I think there were fewer than 4% of the applicants were eventually accepted. They're a really rigorous screening process. Um, The two selecting criteria, the two most important ones, were the fact that you had to have a history of treatment-resistant depression, which means that you would have had to try everything under the sun. And that's part of my long story, if you like. (laughs) Um, And also have no history of drug use when it comes to psychedelics in particular. Right. I mean, I'd smoked a bit of weed when I was younger. I think we all did Yeah. generational thing in South Africa as much as anything, a cultural thing.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, (laughs) Yeah. You know, it was as common as drinking beer. But there we are. Mm. Um, I hadn't. I had avoided hard drugs, if you like, yeah. because I was scared of them.
1: There is that fear about psychedelics, isn't there?
0: Absolutely. I I just didn't want to be in a position where I had no control. Mm. Um, and so I had avoided drugs for that reason. But um, everything I read and everything I heard was pointing to this being something I really ought to try. Okay. Okay. Um, as much out of curiosity as a desire to contribute to the scientific knowledge.
1: Yeah, that altruism is a big driver for people who go on to research projects. And it's fantastic. <laughs> Without that, we would be still in the Stone Age. So thank you. Yeah, Thank well, you for doing yes, it.
0: And thank you to everyone who was involved.
1: Absolutely. And there were a lot of very different people involved, wasn't there?
0: Oh, goodness me, yes. But altogether, a, a fantastic team. Yeah. They really were. I mean David Nutt, you know. Mm. Yeah. Everyone. From from the, the therapist through to uh, to the people who cooked my meals when yeah. I was there. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: When you came to the project, were you in a state where your depression was quite low for the time, or where were you within your personal relationship with that condition? It
0: I suppose in many ways it had plateaued. Mm. Um I knew it wasn't going to get any better. I suppose I was in a holding pattern. Okay. I'd learned how to live with it, how to cope with it. Yeah. But um, the life I was living was very gray.
1: Okay.
0: Um, people speak of the black dog very often when they mm. refer to depression. For Churchill's
1: me, was, black dog. Are, yeah. yeah.
0: For me, it was like a black fog. Right. That just settled. And you yeah, know there wasn't a lot of joy in my life.
1: When I was watching the um, BBC documentary, which they made of this drugs trial, um, Jane, your wife was on there and she was saying that you didn't smile much and that really hit home for me. Oh. It's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. When, you're, when you're feeling blue, you can't mm. smile or don't smile, which is sad.
0: It is. Yeah. It is because there's so much out there to smile about. Yeah. There really is. And that that was one of the biggest lessons I learned. Okay, from the experience, was oh. that whatever life brings along, whatever mm. you have to cope with, um, it's worth it.
1: <laughs> it's very hard, though, when you have that veil across something that's happening and then oh, yeah. and an emotional attachment to that experience. Yeah. It must be quite um, hard to connect in with not just the experience that you're facing but also the people that are part of that when you're right in the thick of it.
0: Oh, it is hard. Mm. It is hard. And, but the drug changed all that.
1: And how long had you been um, living with depression?
0: I was officially diagnosed with it about 25 years ago. Okay. So quite a long time. Um, But who knows, I might well have been living with it for quite a bit longer.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And just didn't present in the same sort of way as it did when I was grown up. All grown up. (laughs) (laughs) All grown up, yeah.
1: And um, the reason I bring Jane's comment in uh, about your smile was that, When watching the documentary, your first um, experience of taking the drugs, the the mushrooms, was you laughed. Like there was a deep belly laugh in there.
0: (laughs) And and pretty much the the whole of that first dosing session Mm. was like that. And we can go into a little more detail if you like, but as part of the trial, part of the protocol they set up, there were two dosing sessions. Yes. And we were given because it was a double-blind setup, mm-hmm. we didn't know whether we were going to get a high dose or a placebo. Yeah, And there were two groups. One group was given a high dose twice, mm-hmm. two weeks apart. And also the comparison was with escitalopram, which yeah. is a gold standard in SSRIs or yeah. um, antidepressants. And they were comparing the effectiveness, if you like, of psilocybin, which is a Compound derived from magic mushroom. Yeah. So they're comparing the psychedelic with an antidepressant. So w- one half of the control group was given the psychedelic, yeah. and the other half was given a placebo and an antidepressant. I ended up having the high dose. Yeah. <laughs> and a placebo rather than antidepressant. So we both had to take. Antidepressants yeah. or placebo for six weeks, and that's where the comparison came in.
1: It's so good. It was so, the thing that I liked about the trial the most is it was so simple. Yeah. I mean, there was just like it was beautifully simple. It was this or that. Yeah. There was no in betweens. There was no grey area.
0: And that makes it so much easier to interpret the data. Mm. But the data that was reported when they reported the results in New England Medical yeah. Journal. Um that data didn't factor in the self-reporting.
1: Which I found interesting because mixed methodology, although is a relatively new form of reporting data, is definitely seen as substantial. And especially when you're looking at depression, you kind of want to know how people are feeling
0: (laughs) through (laughs) the whole experience. That's quite important. (laughs) It really is. Uh,
1: I was surprised that they left that out. Yeah, But um, they were saying that the suicidality... Was lower with the substantially, yeah, lower. yeah, and the that those feelings of that, as yeah. well as generalized depression yes. and anxiety, yeah. all decreased absolutely, pretty much.
0: yeah, very much.
1: Yeah,
0: just getting back to the laughing. Yes, yeah, sorry. It, so <laughs> the, the first session was one of those great big, multicolored, revelatory experiences. It was that, a good trip. <laughs> that, it was, I couldn't have asked for a better trip, Jenny. Mm. It was just literally out of this world. Brilliant. One of the most difficult things with psychedelics, of course, is that it's so hard to describe that experience. People typically shy away from even Mm. trying. But it was. It was all singing, all dancing, multicolored light and sound show. It just phenomenal. It was like being inside a kaleidoscope. And throughout, I was getting messages about how things really are. Mm. Essentially, what the drug does is it presents you with An alternative view of reality. When you're depressed, you think life is a pile of excrement and nothing can get you out of that. Yeah. What this drug does is it shows reality as it really is. Yeah. That life is really there for the taking Mm. and that every moment is worth living. Yeah. And I was getting these wonderful messages coming through. And the reason I was laughing so much was that I was thinking, oh yeah i knew that all along <laughs> <laughs> i just wonderful. didn't believe it um <laughs> and so the message really really came through in in the course of that session
1: yeah i found it interesting um with the documentary listening to people trying to describe what they experienced and you beautifully put it there it's almost wordless and it's like describing dreams it's like you know what Happens, but actually to find any vocabulary that would make sense of it all is actually quite hard it's just like how did you formulate that to allow the researchers to get a grip on it did you just go for it did you or was there a point where you stepped back and had some time and then told them what happened
0: i suspect that they got the most valuable feedback immediately after right the first session lasted, I think, about six or seven hours.
1: Oh, wow. It's a long so, time.
0: Sure. Oh, it, it was a big trip and quite intense. Yeah. You can imagine you come out of that and all you want to do is eat.
1: <laughs> good old munchies.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: That's why you need the millionaire shortbread.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, it's hard not to want to describe the experience, mm. to share it. Yeah. And so I did. And then there's a follow-up the day after as well. Oh, okay, good. Where, where they encourage you um, to discuss the experience and of course that's essential for them from a therapeutic point of view that it's part of the package
1: good because they you i mean just on the first experience it must have released so much that you needed to have professional help to even just kind of like comprehend what had just happened to you.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: I take it that they had a lot of therapy on offer for you during this whole process.
0: Yeah, and be- before and after. Brilliant. Um, so in the lead up to it, of course, it's it's very much a hand-holding exercise. Good. And they, they take you through it and they present you with models of their own mm. um, that they have used in the past, these are models that have been used for quite a long time, but the one that Ros Watts, Dr. Watts, who, Mm. who was the, um, the lead on this trial, the clinical lead, um, she and, and a couple of others in the team have developed a model where they encourage people, the volunteers like me to think of an experience as diving deep into an unknown reality, if you like, Mm. think of it as the ocean and you dive deep into that and, you find a pearl of knowledge, and you bring it up, and you nurture it, and then that is your takeaway, if you like. Wonderful. Um, and it seemed to work quite well. Fantastic. The other thing they encourage you to do, of course, is to is to just be with whatever comes along, because it's not all good.
1: No, you um, and I have been dis- discussed this as yeah. kind of like trash can diving at some points.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Getting to really
1: much. smelly juice at the bottom of a trash can that hasn't yeah. been emptied for a while. Yeah. And having to deal with that.
0: Yes. Some of it can be pretty dark and take you into some really dark places. And that was how the second session was. Mm. Um, In both, we were given what they considered the the highest safe dose of the drug. Um, And it had a very, very different effect the second time around. Okay. The second time was pretty dark. I had to, although I had one extraordinarily positive experience in the second session. Yeah. That related to love. That's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. I had to take that knowledge that everything is love Mm -hmm. and I had to shine that light onto into some really dark places. Yeah. And from a therapeutic point of view, that was probably the more useful of the two.
1: Interesting. Because we tend to want to go for the kind of like highlight, the high kaleidoscope, high color. That's great. Of
0: course we do. Yeah.
1: It's like the candy almost, isn't it?
0: The reality though is that we spend an awful lot of our lives either running away from or suppressing the bad stuff, yeah, and what that does is it 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 sends it down into those dark mm. recesses of of the psyche, the shadow as as Jung called it, yeah, and unless you find a way of releasing that stuff, it's going to be with you, yeah, all your life, and that was the value of the second session for me it um it got me down into those places, and I was able to release it was unbelievably cathartic, great right. I spent. Most of the first session, laughing. Yeah. You just <laughs> they mentioned. didn't show
1: any of the second no. session. <laughs> and most
0: of the session, bawling my eyes out.
1: Brilliant. You must have been shattered.
0: Oh, yep.
1: So tired.
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. After both. Yes. But in very different ways. Definitely. Yeah.
1: So you've been a yogi now for 20 years?
0: Yeah, about that.
1: And how did you find your background in yoga to be helpful or
0: not applicable or how was that for it, you? It was helpful in, in several ways, Jenny, mostly in that it gave me a framework to deal with the experience. Fantastic. And there were some things that I'd learned through yoga, um, breathing techniques as one. So pranayama was very useful in helping me come to the point where I could be relaxed Yep. in the session. Um, but in a broader context, um, a lot of what I'd learned about myself and how my body and mind work together, mm. or in the case of depression, don't really work together. <laughs> yeah. And in in a sort of yoga philosophical sense, yeah, some of some insights, if you like, and particularly through meditation, into the big revelations mm. that the drug offers. So, in meditation, for example, you get, if you're lucky, an insight into how things really work.
1: Yeah.
0: And. I've been lucky enough in, in the past few years just to catch a glimpse of that alternative reality.
1: It takes a lot of meditation together. It
0: does. <laughs> so I had a sense that I was a unique expression of a universal consciousness. That's yeah. the best way I can think of describing. it. And that's not just because some yogi had said it, it. It is because I had lived it in meditation. Yeah. So I had that sense of my place in this greater consciousness. But my goodness, the drug took that and magnified it a million times and showed me in in a way that I just cannot put words to, (laughs) that that is the reality, that we are all a part of that greater Mm. consciousness.
1: I think what was really interesting um, for me is to learn about how the drug enables the plasticity to the mind, that allows the brain to kind of like uh, move in a new way, almost. So it unlocks a lot of that. I I was imagining it in my very, I'm not a neuroscientist whatsoever, but the way that they were describing it, it reminded me of kind of like a very um, stuck muscle that was suddenly Mm. unlocked and it could find its own flow again. And the brain could kind of like flow through that miasma of dark and kind of like get that plasticity back. And I was just wondering how that felt on the inside, that kind of like new movement within your mind.
0: It felt like every part of my brain was in communication with every other part. Brilliant. So everything was working simultaneously. And that's what opens up those extraordinary visions yeah. and perceptions that you just had no idea that you had mm. or were capable of. And that's where the magic comes in. Yeah. And one of the biggest issues with depression, of course, is the digging those dark grooves through negative rumination. So yes, is that thought looping, isn't it? You latch onto a thought and you loop it and yep. loop it and it, it digs an ever deeper groove the yeah. more you turn it around in your mind. And there are people out there who say, oh, you know, there's no such thing as depression, really. It's all in your mind. Yes, yeah. it is in your <laughs> there mind. There are
1: trenches in there, there that I can't get out of. Very
0: deep trenches. <laughs> yeah. And there's no way out of them for mm. people who suffer from depression, yeah. you might think externally that it's easy enough to lift yourself out of it but once you're in it there's no way out and and that's where the drugs come in of Mm. course and what the antidepressants in my experience do typically is they they kind of plaster over the cracks yeah but they don't really make any lasting change
1: i have no experience of taking antidepressant medication but my clients have often described it as a dulling of the senses
0: that's how most people describe it that's certainly how it was for me Mm. And I was on them for about a decade and I just had to get off. I just thought I had to, I had to experience life as it is. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it was bad, but you know, there are ups as well as downs.
1: Yeah. I think Jordan Peterson was interesting in his book, 12 rules of life, where he says you have to go to ha- down to hell to experience heaven. You know, you have to ha- be able mm. to experience those feelings and the level of different emotions and yeah. kind of like, find your way through the dark and the, and the, and the light. And Try and find where the color bits are
0: <laughs> it's part of the fabric of life yeah and and it's a natural consequence of being alive totally It's as simple as that yeah. you know it can't all be good as much as we want it to be mm. there's bad in everything yeah um, Alan Watts had a really nice word to describe that he made up a word goes with goes in, with goes with so imagine a yin and yang yeah. symbol the yin yang the yang goes with the yin. Brilliant. And there's a little bit of each in the other. Yeah. And that word just describes it perfectly for me. So the goes with, the good Perfect. goes with the bad. You can't have one without the other.
1: Totally. So when did the trial finish? How many months ago for you?
0: Officially, the trial ended, oh golly, um, 18 months ago.
1: And that's quite a long time it now. It is
0: quite a long time. So
1: how, yeah. in fact, that must have finished just before the pandemic.
0: Yeah. Wow. So it was, hang on, am I right? August, August was my first dosing session.
1: 2019.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I yeah. guess it's going on 18 months.
1: So do you feel that it helped you cope with the 18 months that we've just all lived
0: through? Oh, yeah. I think it's probably fair to say, Jenny, that I wouldn't have coped at all. Okay. I think when, when lockdown came, I I suspect that the resilience that I felt at the time yeah. had everything to do with that experience that I had. Brilliant. I thought I looked at our community essentially, and I thought we're all in this together. We're, we're all going to suffer through this in one way or another. Mm. Got to keep the doors open. Yeah. Got to do whatever we can to give people their their lattes and their cappuccinos and live stream yoga classes yeah. and support the community as best we can.
1: Yeah, I think it's totally underrated how much the ability to just go out. And get a coffee yes we had 12, two meters distance and all the rest of it but just that yes that kind of routine i want to say oh, was just vital
0: i've seen so much gratitude <laughs> from people in the last two weeks yeah being able to come and sit indoors at a table with a friend and just have a cup of coffee and people are sitting much longer than they used to
1: really oh yeah So, if you're doing that, guys, a lot of catching up. Yeah. If our audience are doing that, (laughs) make sure you order two coffees. (laughs) Keep the coffees coming. And I mean, I remember being self employed and just thinking, what on earth is going to happen? And I don't have a history of depression, but I got very blue for those first eight eight weeks. It was just crazy. And just no ability to find any edges around what was happening.
0: Yeah, it's been a really tough time for so many people. And I can't
1: imagine having done that with an added layer of complexity. And I was just wondering if you could give any tips and tricks to the people who are supporting people with depression, how they can come alongside and help in a really good, practical way that isn't irritating. (laughs) So when people are going through blue times, hard times again and living through that constantly, how can we help? How can we step in and help?
0: Understanding. Okay. Understanding, I think, is probably the most useful thing. Okay. Um, I've been in a situation where my situation has not been understood, mm. and that was so counterproductive. As soon as you have someone at your side who understands, even a little, what you're going through okay. and how tough it is dealing with it, it makes the world of difference. It's like asking someone who's who's poorly, how are you? Okay. It makes such a difference to them, even if they're feeling like crap. Just the fact that you've asked is enough to give them a lift. Brilliant. So I would say understand the person's position okay, as much as anything and ask.
1: I was just about to say, is it, I mean, often when people are feeling blue, they can look a bit shut down and kind of like have the walls up. Is, is it okay for people to come alongside and say, how are you repeatedly? <laughs> and is that kind of like something that you would advocate in, in different ways? Is it not just saying how are you, but also acting on that as well and just coming into somebody's space and just being with them?
0: Yeah, just being there for them in whatever way.
1: Yeah, just holding ready. space.
0: Yeah, holding space, holding hands.
1: Yeah.
0: Empathy and understanding um, are the two essential ingredients, if you like, yeah. in, in helping people in a, in a position like that. And, of course, there's so much else you can do. Yeah. And these are things that everyone knows about. You know, eat well. Yeah. Get enough exercise. Get out into the fresh air as Mm. much as you can. Be out in nature. You've heard this mantra in the course of lockdown. Yeah. That advice is freely given and is on a loop at the moment. This is what the mental health experts are all saying. But
1: But hard when you're in the trenches, hey?
0: It's really hard. So very often, those people who are in there… Need someone just to take their hand and and ease them out of it, ease yeah. the, lift them out of the trench, if you like. Yeah. So if you are out there and close to anyone who is suffering,
1: mm.
0: take the time to to understand yeah. and to offer them a helping hand.
1: And what I've got from our conversations before this podcast is also the continuity of that support is really important because it's a long it's road. It's essential.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness me. Yeah. It's same as the continuity with. In the journey that I've just been on, it Mm -hmm. doesn't end with taking a drug. Yeah. Um, The support has to be there, which is the next phase of this whole process. Yeah. The team from Imperial and others in other places are developing the protocols now that will be used in psychedelic psychotherapy in the future.
1: I'm really interested in that because it's you were on such a rare piece of research that obviously has changed your brain and your thinking. And there aren't that many therapists who know how to deal with that yet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So apart from the drug trial, it's good to know that they're also doing the clinical therapeutic trial alongside
0: that. There are quite a few outfits. Well, quite a few. There are a few outfits in the States and one, I suppose I can mention a name, an outfit called Synthesis, who runs psychedelic retreats. Mm. Um, And Roz, who was the clinical lead on our trial is, is the clinical director.
1: She was so lovely. Oh, love. I loved her Cheers. houseboat apart from anything else. Oh,
0: goodness me, yes.
1: Just so, so lovely. Oh, isn't she? She had such a grounded approach to the whole so thing as well. So
0: grounded. What a lovely lady.
1: And really, she was not only accepting of the psychedelics, but also of the traditional antidepressants. And she, I just love the fact oh. she said, I'm just so glad that they're there for people to use. Sure. And they're just a lifesaver for so many people they out are. there.
0: Don't don't knock them. Oh, no, not um, at all. I never come off they them. Are, they are a lifesaver <laughs> yeah, for a lot of people. Definitely. There's no question. But, yeah, these therapies are a long way off, Jenny. Yeah. You know, Robin Carhart-Harris, who, who was…
1: He was great.
0: Who, he is. <laughs> oh.
1: So I'm just going to say I'm ne- I've never seen anybody get so nerdy about statistics. <laughs> <laughs> the joy on his face was just wonderful to see. <laughs>
0: But those were the stats they were hoping for. Yeah, and he was he was a happy man, and so was um, David Knight. Yeah,
1: Knight. definitely.
0: Yes, Synthesis are are doing some really interesting work in offering training to therapists, and there, and there are others out there who are doing the same thing. They are lining themselves up for what must come. Good. And what will come is the use of these drugs mm. as part of a therapeutic program.
1: Yeah,
0: and that's essential.
1: Yes, I think that is
0: that up. It's it's not much good taking a drug unless you can, unless there is a way of integrating that experience yeah into your everyday life.
1: I mean, we spoke about this about a month ago, didn't we? And I came away from that chat over coffee. It was the first time we'd been able to have a business meeting for over a year. It was For fantastic. a long time. Yeah. It was just good to chew the fat. It was great. Um, I it. But I came away with real kind of like encouragement that this wasn't to – say that it will cure depression it wasn't a state that it will stop you feeling bad it was just a really interesting look at how integrative therapies help together to make life better yeah and that's the thing that got me so it is the holistic in i know holistic is often an overused word but it's not just the new medication that they're researching it is the yoga. It is the eating well. It is all part of it. And all of that creates a story for the person that's being treated. And I found that really exciting.
0: Yeah. And there is, I'm glad you mentioned all those different elements because what works for me as a package Mm. may not work for the next person. Oh,
1: absolutely. It's a personal lived experience.
0: Absolutely. There there is a lot of commonality. And there are some things that people typically graduate or gravitate to um, if they, have issues like anxiety and depression. I'm just thinking of some of the groups I've worked with over the past, um, you know, that we work with the Oak Leaf Charity yeah. and um, teach yoga and meditation in the studio. Um, and I found the thing that is most useful is flat-out relaxation, mm. just a safe space to be in to relax, Yeah, where you can be in the company of people who have similar issues yeah. to yourself, and in a safe space where you're looked after. I think the modalities that I find most useful are things like yin yoga and restorative yoga because there, there are no real physical demands made on you.
1: So the nerd in me is very happy that you said this because um, with yin and restorative yoga, your fascia is allowed to fully stretch and, and work. And when you have fascial restrictions when you're depressed, it becomes very brittle. So as a fascia worker and a body worker, I find that people who have had anxiety, stress, depression, triad, their fascia is so tight that they can't let go, which causes more th- thought leaping. And I don't think that psychosomatic experience can be kind of like um, cut apart. I don't think you can dissect mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And the yin yoga I found for my clients with depression has really helped physically physically. Given them a safe space, some time out from the thought looping for a bit, but physically, you get to another place with Yin and Restorative. That long-held, beautiful stretch really just is a great way of helping physically. I think.
0: <laughs> so that would be your prescription.
1: I have um, often advised it within yeah. uh, Cornstone Therapies weekly. Just like if oh. you've got, a, if you're feeling blue, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling like you're getting rigid within your body with those thought loops, then. Yeah, restorative yin.
0: It's fabulous. Yeah. And if it helps, put on the right music. You know, yeah. So make yourself a bolster at home. You don't need to go to a studio and join a class. You know, there are so many useful things you can do for yourself.
1: So I have a client who in fact many clients. I don't I don't think I've got one client who I haven't given this to. Although they're all going to email me and go, that's new to me. Um if you <laughs> If you roll up a um, bath towel and put it down on, on the floor, yoga mat, and then lie on it so your spine is lying down and just allow yourself to open up over it. Yeah. And so it's just like, just a bath towel, guys. It's yeah. nothing fancy.
0: There, there is some really useful information out there yeah. online Definitely. and from people like yourself. Mm. Um, there is a lot you can do for yourself yeah. at home just to encourage that release that you're talking yeah. about. Um, binaural beats. Are a really useful modality as well. If you have a decent pair of headphones, yeah, even the little in-ear ones are good enough. Go onto Spotify and download download some binaural beats. Excellent. They, they are fabulous for helping with sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a Spotify subscription, even better. You don't yeah.
1: get... don't get the adverts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: You so don't want this the this
1: leads me to the question. I was I was hesitant to ask um, over breakfast this morning. But um, as a last question, I would really like to kind of like go for it. Bring it on. What was the music you were listening to whilst you were experiencing your experiences?
0: I'm happy to send you a copy of the playlist. Really? Yeah. It was extraordinary. Uh, one of the things, it was curated by um, oh, Johnny the psychiatrist, um, who was one of the two uh, who guided me on my journey. Yeah. Johnny Martel, who's a lovely guy. He, he, I think he curated most of it himself. But what they did was that they got all the participants, yeah, to bring a song or two of their own that they, over time, added to the playlist. Oh
1: wow! And
0: you would have heard in the documentary one of the chaps—I forget his name—but the, the photographer, yeah, Matt. Matt, thank you. Um, Matt, uh, Matt said, "Who whoever yes. put this together is a fucking genius." Yeah,
1: and, and he was. The th- and that's Arthur. when I thought, I want to know who yeah. did that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I'm happy to share it Brilliant. with you, and you can put it out there if you like. That'd be great. It, a lot of the stuff I knew. Um, there's there's some that is classical. There's some really interesting yoga-influenced music in okay. there. So quite a few chants. Brilliant. Um, yeah. It 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 was just beautifully done. And it really does add to the experience.
1: That's what I was thinking, because you all wore the headphones. Yeah. And I was thinking Music is obviously a key thing here.
0: It was very, very carefully done. Yeah, They were very carefully chosen tracks.
1: I have to say, if it had been whale music for me, I would have just preferred not to have had anything. So I'm glad it was a good one. <laughs> no, there was nothing in
0: there like that. Yeah. Well,
1: it's been lovely to speak to you, Steve. Thank you so much for your time today.
0: No, thank you for asking me.
1: Oh, it's fantastic. And yeah. I hope to get you on again soon for another one.
0: It'll I'm happy to chew the fat.
1: Oh, Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Well, thank you guys for listening and thank you for subscribing, downloading, sharing, doing all the stuff you're doing. It's fantastic. It's a real privilege to offer these podcasts to you at 7am each Friday. We just love the fact that you're getting so much out of it. If you want to contact us, our links are down below and we will also link Steve's article, which he wrote for The Independent and um, that goes alongside the drugs trial and also the work of David Nutt and have it all below. And we'll see you next Friday for another episode of Therapy Unwound. Thank you.